stay bout it, I'm not pouting Break through walls and climb it mountains If you want it, scream it loud and show this world Okay, welcome back to the Brain Taming Podcast. Today I'm joined by someone with a remarkable story who I was really inspired by when I first came across uh, this young man and perhaps, perhaps most notably his accounting of that story, which of course he'll share today and we'll unpack from there. His perspective on resilience and grit um, and working to rebuild a positive mindset, even in the midst of tremendous challenge, uh, is certainly something that this man um, exhibits. I talk a lot on this show about overcoming challenges, rebuilding our mindset, uh, and trying to find a balance between controlling the controllable and working to find a level of acceptance for the things we can't. And my guest today is absolutely someone who can talk to those things. In 2014, he was serving in the Australian Army as a rifleman. However, he would have an accident um, that completely changed his life, leaving him a C5 quadriplegic. I'll let him tell the story and then we'll dive into some ideas and break down his process for recovery uh, and rebuilding his identity, uh, which I've heard him talk a lot about, which is super fascinating. But firstly, mate, welcome to the show, Joel Sardi. Thanks. Thanks, Liam. How you going, mate? Going very well. Uh, before we dive in, mate, just a, a quick shout out to our mutual friend, Andrew Sturgis, for connecting us. Uh, you were a guest on his podcast, which is how I came across your story. And uh, I was quite moved by, um, by, quite moved by that story and your accounting, and particularly some of the insights that you had, which I'm hoping we can unpack a bit today, mate. But uh, yes. to kick things off, for those not aware uh, of your injury and your journey, could you perhaps walk us through um, what happened and I guess what the last six or seven years has looked like for you? All right, mate. So yeah, as you said, uh, I'm a C5 quadriplegic. So uh, in 2014, I fell over a handrail. So uh, I was going down some stairs and, and lost my balance and went, fell over the handrail, uh, landed on my back. It was a three meter fall. And in doing so, I chipped my T2, sorry, my C2, shattered my C5, cracked my T2, three and four and my sternum. Uh, and in doing so, the C5 vertebrae pushed on my uh, spinal cord and that immediately rendered me a, a quadriplegic. So no movement from the shoulders down uh, or, or at least no control from the shoulders down, like I can move my arms, but I've got no dexterity or no triceps. So uh, makes things pretty difficult um, to say the least. It meant that I basically woke up one morning in my bed and went to bed that night in a hospital bed and woke up the next morning a quadriplegic in a hospital bed. And that would be the case for the next 12 months in hospital. And still to this day, waking up a quadriplegic. So uh, what is it? Nearly seven seven years on from my injury. Uh, life has been an absolute roller coaster and an absolute challenge. But I was talking to someone this morning about my injury, and we were saying how uh, people often say that after their spinal cord injury that their life gets better. And I I really I call bullshit on that. I really don't think that that's a true statement. But I do think that we become better as people because we appreciate things. And I know I do. I appreciate the smaller things. I appreciate people and conversations and, and experiences more so than I would have. You know, I now, I stop to smell the roses. You know, mm. I stop to enjoy things a lot more. Yeah. Although I, people are say I can't sit still for long, but yeah, I definitely enjoy things differently. It's, um, it's, it's a crazy story. And I've heard you talk a lot about 
uh, which makes it makes sense, of course, on reflection, how you lost your identity um, for a period of time. So could you share some thoughts around what that process looked like for you? I guess what you meant by that, um, I know your life, of course, was shifted pretty dramatically, but what did you mean by losing that sense of identity? Uh, and then perhaps share a little bit about your process of cultivating a, a new one as you move forward. Yeah, okay. So I, I joined the army at 19 and I started to form this identity, or at least I so I thought so. Um, you know, I was a soldier. I was in the Australian army. I was living on my own in Adelaide and um, really coming to my own. And um, I, I recently deployed to Afghanistan. So my career was getting really good in the army. And then I was playing football on, on weekends with my mates and I was living my life. You know, I had a girlfriend living in Melbourne and, you know, we were getting pretty serious and I thought I was heading down this path. And uh, I had my accident and I suddenly, I couldn't move. I couldn't dress myself, couldn't feed myself, couldn't go to the toilet on my own. I eventually learned that I had to have someone wipe my ass for me. I, they had to do everything for me basically. And for someone that lived that life of army, you know, football on weekends, I use that as my example because I was just so independent and I'd get up and drive myself whenever I wanted to suddenly going to this person paralyzed, stuck in a bed, unable to do all the things I've just mentioned. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm laying in bed, staring at the roof, telling myself everything I, I'll never do, everything I used to do, that basically, you know, I was only 22 at the time. So mm. I had a very short understanding of what life was and what I'd lived up until then, I thought was going to be life and going to continue to be life in that, the independence and doing what I wanted. and whenever I wanted to suddenly, well, no, you can't even move a limb in your body. You're going to do exactly what your disability tells you to do. So over the next two or three years after my injury, I really started to tell myself that I was useless. I was this person in a wheelchair that I never imagined I would be, you know, like I, I used to see people with disability and I'd give them five minutes of my time and, and think, give paid the respect and think that must be difficult uh, not pity them but you know at least give them time of day and and I, I would think shit that must be hard to so suddenly i'm that guy in the wheelchair i'm that guy at a venue that people need to stop their conversation oh, oh sorry and they move out of their way and and that's that's terrible for me because i hate being the center of attention in that regard you know my mates would say i was the clown i was the idiot yeah i was but I was never the one that would stop the room because, oh, get out of the way because someone's coming through with a wheelchair. Uh, and over time, I used to, I would then tell myself that I was that guy that everyone was looking at. Um, so I was that guy in the wheelchair and I was that, um, I said it to Sturge on, my, on the other podcast that I call myself, I don't do it anymore, you know, the vegetable, because I'd have to get pushed into venues by my mates and pushed into the toilets because they'd need to undo my jeans so I could do a catheter. Um, they need to set everything up and just everything about my life that was independent and dignified was taken away from me. So that's why I lost that independence and that, that strong character. Could you maybe, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy and there's so much to unpack. Um, but Joel, could you maybe walk us through the, the, the process, I suppose, or the timeline um, of your psychology? So I can only imagine uh, when this injury first takes place, um, 
how do you go about reconciling, uh, I guess, what you're, and you touched on it there, this, you had a vision or a blueprint for your future that's now shifted. How do you go about reconciling that? And maybe just talk to the timeline of um, how you go from that place, I suppose, to when you first start finding or working to find some level of um, acceptance, I suppose, and look towards, uh, I've heard you talk quite eloquently about looking for opportunities and not dwelling on the past is challenging as that can be. So when did you first start trying to, or first start cultivating that sense of direction and and looking for opportunities? Um, It's kind of a loaded question, but perhaps it gives a timeline of your psychology over the last six or seven years. Yeah, I, I took a long time to make peace with my injury and to not forgive myself, but to to be okay with where I was because of my injury and, and the, the decision I made to fall down the stairs. Um, and then, it, so it was through various things, through rehab, through learning about the injury, becoming slow, slightly more confident and comfortable with myself um, and understanding that my life was so different to what I pictured it to be. Um, there was there was a little moment I had overseas after I got engaged to Elisa, um, where I was the the happiest person, probably in the state, in the country, whatever, in the world, and my injury couldn't have changed that. And I realised that life can still be beautiful. Life can still be really nice. It's really how I picture it and how like my perspective on things. Mm. Like you said, like you know the opportunity. I can't control what's happened in the past. I can't control the injury, but I can control what happens tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it was probably through various stages of my rehab, both in 2016 and 17 in America, and then getting engaged to Elisa and just seeing the happiness that we, we had and my family had around that. It didn't matter that I was in a wheelchair and it still doesn't matter now because I still, you know, for example, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll drive myself to work on my own. I'll then go into the office, open the doors, set everything up before anyone else gets there um, and set my laptop up and start working and call people. And they wouldn't know I'm in a wheelchair. They wouldn't know the morning I've just had. Um, And that's because, you know, I set myself up positively in the morning to get to work, to do things, to achieve things during the day, injury or not. Dude, when I heard you um, talking with with Andrew on um, on his podcast platform about Elisa and that um, that story of getting engaged, yeah. man, I, I can't tell you how much that just like lit up my soul, warmed my soul. Um, because again, going back to that idea of seeing opportunities and not not dwelling in the past too much, it's I think everyone understands that on a very sort of cognitive or logical level, and everyone would agree that makes sense. Um, it's an empowering way to kind of view life, but you know, when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to kind of, um, yeah. to kind of to execute against that, I suppose. So yeah. I think just for the people tuning in, could you maybe just give us that story of, um, proposing how yeah. that, un- how that unfolded. And essentially what I'm trying to get to the core of is, um, I think it's fair to say, you know, what you've experienced and what you've gone through is certainly, um, extremely extremely challenging but then just to get to a place um where you can experience such joy such appreciation i think is one of the more wonderful things Uh, and and a lot of people get stuck in various circumstances and don't quite sort of get through that so for you to be able to work through your um your setbacks and still have that ability to appreciate the beauties in life 
um, is just fucking remarkable. And so, yeah, I feel like I'm derailing now, but I just wanted to pay credit to you, mate, because I felt so good um, hearing you sort of talk about that journey to get back to, you know, feeling those things. So yeah, talk us, talk us through that um, proposal and how that made you feel and, and perhaps how important she's been for you throughout this, you know, last six, seven years. Um, so when, when I got engaged, it was at, we, we, there was a restaurant in, in California we went to, it was across the road from the beach and we often would look at it and think, oh, that's so a beautiful place. So I, I went behind her back and booked a dinner there and organized a couple of trainers to be there at the same time. And we sat down and I said to Elisa, once we were at the table, oh shit, I left something in the car. Can you go get it? Um, so we sent her out to the car and like, it was a, there was nothing there. I just said, can you look for this thing in the back seat? It wasn't there. I knew where it was. It was at home and it gave the trainers enough time to run out from the toilets, get me out from my wheelchair and help me prop up like down on my knee and bearing in mind, I've got no control of any of these limbs. So one was like holding my ass cheek forward. One was balancing me and I was like doing the rest. And um, funny thing is with a quadriplegic, you know, blood pressure is a really big problem. And as soon as you straighten the body, um, the blood pressure drops. So you imagine like being on one knee, torso straight up, my blood pressure started to drop. And I said to my trainer, I was like, Fuck, Philippe, my blood pressure is going down quick. And the natural response for that is for someone to push their nut, their fist into my diaphragm. So he did that, but in doing so, because I've got no control of bowel or bladder, he pushed some air out my ass and a fart went, came out. And it was such a funny moment. Like I'm trying to like keep my cool. I'm nervous as hell, blood pressure dropping. I've just farted. Elisa's walking back through and she saw me and she, she's, she's like, she stressed and thought he's fallen out of his chair. Cause I've done that a couple of times. And, and then she clued and saw what happened. And um, it was just really nice because I couldn't even speak the words. I was too emotional and uh, sort of happening again now, but uh, just, to be able to ask a woman like that, that's, that's, that's done so much and selflessly gives more and more and still does to this day. Um, yeah. Like I'm, I'm so lucky to have met Elisa and for her to be the person she is. Um, yeah. We've had some amazing memories together and the, the wedding was just so special to celebrate with her because the people that were there on the day were the people that have ridden this this roller coaster with us together for the past well, at that stage i think it was six or five years mm. uh, so yeah really really beautiful time and another one of those things that i don't think i would have meant so much to me or i appreciated so much had i not have had my injury and been through these times yeah but, like i said that it's absolutely beautiful and I, I feel like what i get from you mate is there's this and i you seem to have been able to change the narrative, I suppose, of what's taken place. Now, I think everyone to some extent can relate, obviously to varying degrees, um, but to some extent has a life situation or a relationship or some sort of circumstances that they just can't sort of calibrate um, and they, they kind of get stuck in there and they're dictated by that, by that narrative, right? And so... I guess what I'd love to know from you is how do you find that balance of um, finding a level of acceptance, I suppose, and the calm that yeah. may come with that versus also still staying quite motivated to make progress and, and things of that nature. I've heard you talk about your personal ethos 
um, you know, creating what's possible. So maybe just share some thoughts around that balance between acceptance, but still, you know, having an empowering idea that um, it, for the for the for the most part, you um, you can control you you can control your future, I suppose. Yeah, well, coming from my my angle, Liam, it, having gone through what I've gone through. I've got an incredible amount of resilience and I'll say that humbly, but because I know I do, I've been thrown some absolute curveballs after my injury uh, and they've really derailed me for a day or so, but I've gotten over them really quicker. And and as each one of those curveballs have been thrown at me, I get more resilient. You know, I, I don't think the bloke that won or the woman that won 970 million in America last week in the lottery, I don't think she picked up that ticket and said, yeah, and then she became more resilient after realizing she was nearly a billionaire. You know, like I've had a lot of negative stuff happen because of my injury. Therefore, I'm more resilient for it. So I can actually compartmentalize when things happen to me and realize, well, is it really that bad that my car's just broken down? I have to pay $50 or 200 bucks. Or is it really that bad that, I don't know, that, that vase just broke that had sentimental value? Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to give examples, but there's really been nothing that's thrown my way that has really thrown me off. Do you think, and just going back to the identity piece, do you think that confidence in your ability to be resilient has like played a large role in this new identity? And I talk a lot about identity and our sense of self on this program. And I think with you, mate, it seems like um, it kind of reinforces this idea or notion that I have that if you are able to go through, you know, different circumstances and slowly but surely build a level of resilience, you then have a sense of confidence that when things inevitably arise in the future, like you've just touched on there, you have the ability, you have the resilience, the determination to see that through. And I think, I think what comes with that is a level of empowerment. Um, have you found that to be the case? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, everything we can just take and we're patient. And I say we because at least you know we face everything together basically. And you know, we, we, we just take it on and we cop it and we move on. Uh, like last year was a massive test. Elisa was pregnant. Uh, it was COVID. And there were so many challenges that were thrown our way. We didn't know how we were going to handle like the pregnancy, whether I could be there for the pregnancy. And um, I think we're, we knew a lot of couples are in the same situation as us and people were getting really stressed out. But like I said to Elisa, whether I can or can't, we can't control it now. Let's just worry about it later or not worry about it at all. And fortunately in the end, I was able to be there for the pregnancy for, for Esme's birth. And, um, all these other things that were thrown our way last year that were stressful, but no, we just, we, we took it on together and we, we broke it down and realized that it's not that bad. It's not worth getting that stressed out about it. Mm. Matt, I want to talk about milestones and goal setting. I've heard you talk about that before as well. Um, how important has that been for you to have, I guess, the, the sense of accomplishment and sort of the neurological reward that comes with making progress? Um, and then also having that sense of direction to sort of work towards something. Has that, has that played a role for you? Like, has that been a big part of your life, you know, setting goals and working towards um, achieving, you know, really sort of um, proud moments and milestones? Yeah, mate. Like I... I think without a goal, I'm lost. And without knowing what I need to, to achieve by the end of the month, by the end of the week, by the end of the year, um, it's, it's, it's a weird feeling for me. I guess I've already I probably always did it a little bit before army and it may have been, sorry, before my injury. 
it may have been like a financial goal to save X amount so I can buy something or like an investment property, whatever. Um, so there was all the like little goals and, and now even more so, it's so important to keep me occupied and to keep me working towards something. I think without the goal, I just sort of wake up aimlessly and go through the day, go through the weeks. I'm not, achieve, not, not, not achieving anything, but not really fine. Like I'm working towards anything. I, th I think that's very normal um, for most. And I reckon it potentially may be amplified, you know, for you, so many, so many things that others may take for granted, of course, for you, um, you know, a, a big checkpoints, I suppose. So could you talk us through the, some of the progress that you have made and what some of those milestones have been? And then maybe if there's been any kind of best practices, whether it's, you know, ideas that you consider or, or things that, or habits that you do daily that have helped get to those milestones? Um, yeah, I, so the early days, if we're talking injury, uh, I, I was at a stage where I was that bad where I'd wake up every morning and cry because of my injury and mum would find me sobbing in bed or sobbing in my room or when people would come, I would just break down. So we, the goal was like to make it through lunchtime without crying. Uh, and I was able to do that eventually because I was able to talk to people about my injury and accept it a little bit more. Um, and then get through the afternoon by going to the gym or doing something meaningful uh, at the gym or independent, like just drinking out of a bottle on my own. And, Cause I was just, I was in, in tatters early days. And then uh, the goal was to get to America and do some rehab and, and we did. And in doing so, I learned that there's so much more that I could achieve as a quadriplegic, um, like physically, I'm talking physically. So we went back the next year and my goal was to stand on my like on my own two feet without a frame without anyone holding me um and i did and like that was amazing to do that and it's not like it's changed my life but it was just it was just a reminder to me and to everyone around me that it doesn't matter what the boundaries or the hurdles like at the end of the day i, I create what's possible and, and so do you hence the the ethos of i create what's possible but yeah that was some massive i suppose achievements but the biggest milestone in my life to date would be the birth of my of our daughter Esme. I think that that's a day that not many people experience in their life. You know, the the, the birth of their first child, and, and having gone through the challenges that we went through together, Elisa and I, and my family. Um, but you know, this was a special one for Elisa and I. It was just such a beautiful moment when when Esme was born, and we reflected on the past like six years and like the times where I gave up or Elisa was picking me up and I was saying, I don't want to live anymore. Or when I had some really bad um, days, like to think that that's where we are now. And that's like, just, this is just the beginning of where we're going to be in five, 10, 15, 20 years. Like that, that was a, a milestone. Yeah, man, that is fucking awesome. Um, really cool. And I think it's, that contrast between where you were physically, obviously, and then um, mentally as well to where you are now to see progress in both of those domains. And like you just touched on there, is sort of scratching the surface of what the next five could look like. I think it's yeah. just such a powerful um, sort of realization, I suppose. And so I guess for you, mate, based on your experience and you know, what, you've, what you've been through and, and the lessons picked up along the way, for someone listening who uh, may find themselves in a very different circumstance, but 
perhaps facing, you know, a level, a level of challenge or adversity or just feeling uh, perhaps even on paper there, there's nothing, um, there's nothing per se that um, they shouldn't be able to overcome, but perhaps mentally they're just not in a good place. Is it possible to get to not just feeling, um, you know, just remotely better? Can you can you get to a place of feeling super grateful, being able to appreciate these things, like you've just described the the birth of your daughter? You know, from your experience, is it possible for that person listening to go from feeling so stuck to to feeling you know genuinely joyous and grateful for even the even the smaller things, and of course something as as um, as grand and awesome as the birth of a child. Yeah, 100%, definitely. Oh, yeah. I've got no doubt about it. We're going to go to bed and wake up with that same condition the next day. But like I've said before, like that's that's what's happened in the past. We can't control that. And albeit there may be a condition that ends our lives sooner. But I think when you wake up, the first thing you can do is make a decision how that day is going to look. You can, you can wake up and, and, and feel sorry for yourself or to put it bluntly, yeah, feel sorry for yourself, or you can wake up and think, I want to do something today. I want to achieve something today. I'm going to go for a walk around the block. I'm going to go and buy a coffee. I'm going to go and say hi to five people today and ask them how they're going, you know, in, in integrating with, with the community. Like we've all got a decision and a choice when we wake up, how our day is going to look. Mm. So I've got no doubt that, yeah, people that are going through a tough time could probably turn themselves around or turn their day around. And that's not coming, that's not professional advice. That's just coming from me who's lived it and done it. Because- and that's, that's exactly what I wanted is like just that personal experience and, and, and seeing um, or hearing you sort of articulate that contrast is really motivating. So for you, mate, what's the next five, five ahead look like? Is there any big milestones um, in terms of like recovery or, or things that keep you, like you said, you touched on about feeling that sense of like direction and, you know, working towards something. What's currently kind of, in your mind's eye at the moment? Yeah, well, like I just said there before, I don't have that professional advice to give to people. I want that to change. So I'm going to uni this year and next year, and hopefully that's it. I don't want to fail subjects. I just want to get it done. Um, so yeah, I'll study psychological science at ACU, maybe two and a half years, I think it is. Um, so that hopefully coming out the other end, I can be somewhat of, I don't want to be a counsellor, but I'd like to work with people in like, culture management or change management or somewhat like a, a welfare role with any with veterans with with athletes or whatever uh, to be able to help people um, professionally uh, so that's my goal for the next two years and that'll be a massive challenge you know like I've, I've had to cut a day of work we've got Esme at home so I'll have a big distraction machine at home I'll have a lot of study to do my weeks will be busy but uh, yeah I think What's the saying? You want something done, give it to a busy person. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's true with me. Mate, you got a bit going on. A bit going on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like I've said a couple of times, mate, some of the, just hearing you speak and even just chatting with you now, you know, I think you've got some really important ideas and insights and obviously a personal experience that can really help people. Um, not just the, not just the cultivation of grit and resilience, which we've spoken about, but also just that, you know, getting from a place um, uh, of, of, of feeling really, really dark mentally. And I've, I've, um, I think we've only scratched the surface of that now, but to get to a place of feeling joy and gratitude and things like that, I think that is so, so powerful and really inspiring for, for all people. Um, so mate, I, I really appreciate you carving out the time to come on and chat with us today. 
Uh, if people want to follow your journey or connect with you in any way, how can they reach out or how can they find you? Yeah, um, I have an Instagram page called Joel Sardi. My name, uh, same spelling. Sweet. Uh, there's a Facebook page as well, but uh, look, I think the Instagram gets updated more. So cool. Elisa runs that. Awesome, mate. Well, yeah, you're a legend. Hopefully we get the chance to meet in the flesh, um, you know, sometime in the near future. And uh, look forward to hearing how your studies go. I'm sure if you're ever up for another conversation to riff on ideas, mate, then this is, this is the platform for you. But yeah, testament to, to your journey, your resilience, um, and really fascinated by, you know, the insights you've picked up along the way and how you've been able to, you know, use something that you can't control, um, but, but I guess have some influence over what that has meant and assign it meaning. I think that is just so fucking impressive um and something that i want to be able to do my own journey in different respects and and i'm sure for people listening too so credit to you joel thank you very much liam thanks for your time mate thanks again for listening to this episode if you did enjoy it if you got some sort of value from the episode please do us a favor and subscribe to the channel we've got lots more to come and share it with your friends and family. It all helps our mission of raising a million dollars towards brain injury recovery and research. So please share the podcast and I look forward to sharing more with you on another episode.